So I've spared literally no expense to bring you some of the finest entertainment in the world this morning. So now I bring our child players onto the stage. Give it up for them. They have had... They have had absolutely no practice. I went and volunteered them early this morning. So thank you guys for being willing to do this. They've had one run through and then they said, can we practice in between servers? Like, absolutely not. It needs to look just as unrehearsed as the nine o'clock. So I'm gonna give you your microphone. So this morning, being Easter, it didn't feel right to have a real Easter service without kids on stage in some sort of an Easter pageant, right? So we are going to reenact our scene today. Today, the scripture we're gonna be looking at is found in Mark chapter 16, verses one through eight. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. So they were coming and walking along. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, which is over in this direction over here. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll the, tomb, the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? It's a great question. But... When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away, and they were surprised. <laughs> there was a lot of practice in between. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. So you're entering the tomb. Come on, here's the tomb right here. Great, stay in the light, that's great. You're in the tomb. And they were alarmed. Show us alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. He said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Who was crucified. Who was crucified. He, was, he has risen. He has risen. He is not here. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See the place where he laid him. Quite the flourish. But go. But go. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you in the Galilee. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Just as he told you. Here's your big moment, ladies. Trembling and bewildered. Face them. Show them trembled and bewildered. Oh, my. <laughs> the women went out and fled from the tomb. Oh, that's good fleeing. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Give it up. Well done. In your perfect world, I would just say amen and we could go home, right? And start eating ham. No, there is a message to follow. When was the last time you were really surprised? Think about that for just a minute. When was the last big surprise you had? Good, bad, indifferent? When was the last time you were really surprised? As I was working on this sermon, uh, I had a moment of that a couple of weeks ago. Rachel and her sister and their cousins were all out swimming down at the resorts part, and they said that they'd be home in like 30 minutes, and hours, and like that. And so I knew I was going home to a quiet house. Now, for me, that is a lovely surprise. I have three children. It is always noisy. Sometimes there's dogs. We don't know where they come from. They're just there. And there's just things going on in our house all the time. I had a, met someone that lives down the street from me, and he said, do you have like 12 kids or something? I'm like, no, they just show up. I don't know where they come from. They're just there. And so there was this moment of quiet. Now I know some of you wish there was more noise around the house, right? Like the kids are gone and you miss all those little noises. I'm in a season where I like the quiet. So I knew I was gonna have like 30 minutes of quiet. So I came home, kind of went into the garage, set my backpack down and Rachel had had the house cleaned up because the family was over. And I'm like, I'm gonna make sure it looks extra good when they come home, right? I've got a little bit extra time. So I started straightening up. I, I, I fixed a glass of water. I had enough time to ask Alexa to put some music on, some kind of moving 
moving around, kind of getting the dishes going. So right, it takes a few minutes to do this, right? To like, you know, pour the water out because the filter's always slow. Probably should replace that, put that on my list. Um, but then also like to turn the music on and about four or five minutes into this, all of a sudden I hear, hey man, there's not supposed to be anybody in my house. I have been here long enough that anybody who was there should have made their presence known by this point. My brother-in-law is just sitting in the living room. There's no car out there. He's just, he's supposed to be swimming with him. I don't know what he was doing. And I guess that was his way of saying, don't be alarmed. Was a hey man. It's quite alarming when you don't think anybody is going to be there. So those are like fun surprises, right? And there's fun surprises all the time. Maverick's four years old. There's a surprise of the headbutt every now and again that you're not expecting. And it's like his way of saying, I love you, I guess. Uh, or that morning surprise tackle. Uh, Rachel had a really fun surprise a few years ago. She has a, like a Class C bus driver's license, apparently, that I didn't know about. So she borrowed a bus, which I guess you can do, and uh, took us all off for my birthday on like a, a small bus. And that was really fun to go outside. And there's a bus in our driveway, and we're going out. That was so fun. And then there's some of those like less fun surprises, but they're not like devastating, like the oops, I left my hose on all night to water the yard or fill the pool up and you get that big bill the next month and I wish I'd only done that one time. Um, or like the surprise, someone backed into your car, like really just happened a couple of months ago. I was doing a wedding rehearsal and we we're getting ready to go to the rehearsal dinner and the father of the bride like backed into our car. And as he got out, he said, why didn't anybody tell me to stop? We're like, well, about a dozen of us were honking and yelling. And he said, it's not a new car. I said, I'm like, well, it's new to us. And you know, it's not like the end of the world, but like, it's, it's not great. Or the oops, I forgot I was on I-95 in South Georgia and the red and blue lights come on. And forever your four-year-old asks, like, are you gonna be a good driver today? Just like those little surprises, <laughs> the gifts that just kind of keep on giving, you know? But then there's like the big surprises, those life-altering surprises, right? The ones that really change how we view things. The, the injury that ends your sports career when your knee blows out and it's the thing that you've known about yourself for so long and the future has changed. It's no longer what you thought it was gonna be or, or maybe it's a job that you lost and you're still looking for the next one and you're not quite sure what the next season holds or not getting into your first college of choice or maybe even your second or your third or your marriage that's really struggling right now, or maybe the divorce that hit you sideways and you didn't see coming. Or maybe it's that call that you need to get down here quick because they're not gonna make it, or the time you went for the sonogram and there's not a heartbeat again. These are all surprises in our community in just the last few weeks, and they don't even account for half of the surprises that I'm sure have been happening in your life. Because our life is filled with the unexpected, right? And many of these surprises can change how we view God, both for good and for bad, the ways that we go through tough surprises. So what is it that has surprised you this season? What are the surprises that you've been walking through in your life? As we celebrate Easter, we're gonna talk about one of the most surprising and unexpected events in the history of the world, and actually a version of the Easter story that has taken me by surprise. When you've done this for a while, this is the Easter story is there, right? We read it over and over again. It is one that can become commonplace over time, but I've been trying in each of these seasons to read them, to find the places where I'm surprised, where something has stood out. I know even on Good Friday, just certain words stood out in a different way than they ever had before. And this year, this is a story that has stood out, it has surprised me, and it has taken me by surprise. And we find it in Mark chapter 16, verses one through eight, the story we just read acted so professionally just a few minutes ago. But what has been interesting and surprising about this story is the way it ends. In the original versions of the Bible, it ends here at verse 8. And it ends with a cliffhanger ending, a sort of a mic drop ending at the end of the story. So I'm going to read it again. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And if you're following along in your Bible, or if you look at it later, most of them will say this. It says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. It ends with them running away, bewildered and terrified and afraid. And I have found this so surprising. It's such an interesting way of ending the story when you step into it. So let's, let's get into the scene for a couple of minutes. We come into the scene with three women all named Mary for some reason. Come on, Bible times, right? Can we give a little bit of help and not name everybody the same name? But we have three women here. First, we have Jesus' mother, Mary. So she's on the scene, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The second, Mary Magdalene. She'd been healed of demons. and She'd been follower of Jesus. She'd been close to him. She'd had a miracle performed in her life. And then Salome, who's often called Mary Salome, and she's probably the mother of James and John. So we find three women, Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Salome here on the scene. And we see these women in Mark's account three times. If you ever want to just read a great account of Jesus, I, I recommend Mark. It is action-packed. I love it. It's just like, and then all of a sudden, and it's just this moving story. There's a lot of action, and he gets through the story and gets to the point. And again, he makes very intentional choices. And, and here we find three women three times at three incredibly important scenes in the last days of Jesus' life. These three women are named and are on the scene when Jesus died. They are at the foot of the cross as Jesus dies, what we celebrated on Good Friday and remembered. They were there for the burial in the tomb. They saw his body placed into the tomb. And again, we find them here with the empty tomb. They had come to prepare his body. These three women were key witnesses to the resurrection. You see, his disciples had fled. The 12 guys that were with him, 11 were left. They'd had the last summer, but then they all left. We find them later hiding in a room. They had gone and terrified for their lives, but these women kept showing up. They kept coming back. They kept being present in the midst of it. And as an interesting note, if you were the writer of one of these accounts and you were trying to make a legal presentation, a lot of people say when they were writing the gospel, they wanted to make a legal claim that Jesus really did this so they could kind of set up a basis for this. You would choose men as eyewitnesses. Women were not considered credible eyewitnesses at the time. So already the story of Jesus is different and already Mark's take on the story is very different that he places these three women so intentionally at each of these three scenes here in the life and the end of Jesus here. So these women, just a couple of days before the scene had been at the cross, they had seen one of the most brutal things. The, the, the mother of Jesus had seen her son die, had been there in the flesh watching this happen. A close follower or this woman who had had her life radically changed and healed, who had been following along, had seen her leader go. Another family member had been right there. They had been up close and personal. They are named that they are sitting there. They've watched this horrific thing and they have seen the life go out of Jesus, their friend, their follower, their family member. And you have to imagine the the emotions that are swirling within them. Many of you have experienced loss and unfortunately so many of you even recently and you know the swirl of emotions that's there, the anger, 
the denial, the grief, the frustration, all of the different things. And in three days, you are very, most people are not far along in the process of figuring this out. And they're in the midst of all of this. And it says very intentionally that not only did they see him die, not only did they experience this, but they saw his corpse placed into a tomb. Mark very intentionally uses a word for a dead body, a corpse, a physically dead person. He wants to make sure that we know that, that Jesus wasn't passed out, that he wasn't in a coma. There was a lifeless body, a corpse, a body without life that was placed into a tomb and buried. So Mark, again, wants to make sure that we know he died on a cross, that he was dead and placed into a tomb. And these women had been there. And again, they were there. They had seen it in the midst of all of what's going on. And then we see this scene that we come to today. These couple of days later, these women continue to show up and they're planning to prepare a body. They'd gone and bought spices. They went to the market that morning and they'd gotten the spices. They'd gotten the supplies needed to prepare a body. This is a normal part of life. Placed in the tomb, they didn't have time to do it that day because of the Passover. They needed to come back and follow the ritualistic preparation. So they were prepared for a dead body in a tomb to fix it up and be ready for the process of burial that was there at the time. So they came prepared to deal with death. And they came prepared for a stone to be rolled in front of it as they were walking. They're saying, how do we move this stone? The practicalities. I love, as I'm reading the story, just the practical humanness of the story. How do we move a rock? What are we gonna do with the spices? What are we gonna do? Just the the things that they were doing, these day-to-day things, they were showing up and doing what needed to be done. And again, this is the norm, right? There's death, there's preparation, there's burial. These are the things that happen in life and especially in their times. This was the norm that was there but they showed up anyway. I have found a lot of encouragement in this that they kept showing up, even though things were hard, even though there was loss, even though they were still in the midst of a story that wasn't finished, they kept showing up. And I, and I think there might be a reminder for us that we need to keep showing up, not just even when it's hard, but maybe especially when it's hard, to keep showing up. Because if we don't, we never see the rest of the story. If we don't show up, we don't see the next step. If we don't show up, we don't see the miracle. And these women showed up and they saw something incredible because when they came in, the stone was gone and there was a young man sitting inside and they were alarmed. And again, this very human emotion. I'm imagining if any of us were to go expecting to find a tomb for a dead person and the door was open and inside was sitting a young man in a white robe, I'm thinking alarm would probably be on the lower level of what we're thinking at that moment, right? That would be terrifying. And they walk in and they see this young man and the body of the person they're expecting to be there is not there. And the first words out of his mouth, don't be alarmed. They're the words spoken so often by angels when they're in the presence of the most holy, don't be alarmed. And yet I'm guessing that they were still a bit alarmed. But then they received the most surprising news of all, the most unexpected news. And really the climax of Mark's account of everything that happened that day in verse six, Everything that needed to be summed up is summed up in this one statement. Verse six is this. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you in the Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He was died. He was buried. He is no longer here. He is out there alive. This This was unexpected. This was surprising. I mean, how do you even process this news in the moment as they're sitting there in the midst of all this, going from one end to the other, a complete 180 in their day? You know, we often talk about the glorious Easter morn and and, and we think about it in the terms of light and flowers and this beautiful image of the glorious Easter morn. 
And make no mistake, the Easter account that Mark gives is glorious, but it is a glory that is very different than that kind of picture. It is the glory that shakes you to the core. It's the glory that messes you up. It's the glory that changes everything from the inside and out. It is the glory of God himself when power is on full display. It is a different kind of glory. And it is on full display in an empty tomb in a missing Jesus who has gone out into the world. It's the kind of glory that humans find alarming and probably the kind of glory that takes your breath away. The only times I've experienced anything close to that, maybe you can relate, is, is moments in nature, right? Maybe it's the first time you've seen something and it's just like literally taking your breath away. I remember the first time seeing Yosemite Valley and just sort of like that moment where you just kind of can't breathe. And I remember sitting in St. Peter's Basilica and not expecting to be so enthralled with this structure and this enormity of God and kind of losing your breath. Or maybe it's like double rainbow guy where he just can't get it back together again, right? There's moments where you just can't, you can't even. And it's that kind of presence where they are in the midst of glory, where they have lost their breath, where they are in the midst of a breathtaking moment because God showed up and he showed all of his power. He showed all of his cards at that moment, the power over death itself. And if you ever really think about what that day was like, I'm pretty sure that you would run away with a jumble of emotions too. Because the women fled. They were terrified. And again, the humanity in that scene. They have just seen the most unbelievable thing and heard the most unbelievable news. They have seen glory on display and they leave bewildered and trembling and in fear. The ending has surprised me this year. I think part of it is just the abruptness of the story when you read the break there and they left bewildered and terrified and it just ends. And in and, and, and just the humanity and the reality of the scene that Mark was painting on that first Easter morn. Mark, in, in his telling of the story of Easter, wants to make sure that we knew that this really happened and that the church has been built on this reality, that Jesus died, that he conquered death, that he came back to life, and that he is alive. The empty tomb is the point of Easter. We have associated the cross for so long with Christianity, right? That has been the symbol, and it is the symbol of Christianity. And the cross is so important because on the cross, Jesus died. On the cross, the perfect life was ended. On the cross, sin was nailed in. But even a good man can die for those around him. But the empty tomb, coming back to life, conquering death, that's different. That's new. That's surprising. That's the symbol of Christianity. That is what we celebrate each and every time we gather the present risenness of Jesus himself. That is what sets Christianity apart. Jesus came back to life and stakes his claim on new life and being alive. The empty tomb is the point. And because the tomb is empty, the world is different. And there is life that is different because of it. And I think there are three quick things that we can take away in the surprising Easter account. The first is this. There is death in this life. And this comes as no surprise to most of us. We've experienced it. Maybe we're presently experiencing it. And this was not a surprise to anyone on the first Easter. Death was a natural part of the rhythm of life. They showed up expecting it. They knew what to do. There's preparation. There are normal things that happen in the midst of it. And again, it is not a surprise now. It happens. But death, no matter even when it's expected, comes as a surprise most often. We're in a season of loss. Personally, in our community, there is just so much loss. It is a story of our life. We experience loss of relationship and death, and it is a present reality for so many, and it's one that we, most of us have experienced. And Jesus understands 
the reality of it. When his friend Lazarus died, he wept. He understands the pain of loss. He died. He experienced death himself. He understands what that's like, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like death any more than we do, and he experienced it. He went through everything we've ever experienced, including death itself. And death and loss are oftentimes when our view of God is most often changed, whether the times we get to see his enormity and his closeness in it or pushes us farther away from him in those times. But the surprising thing that we can learn here in the second part here is that there is life in death. This is where this first group of Easter witnesses would have been so surprised. The death itself isn't a surprise, but coming back to life, conquering death, being alive, this is a huge surprise. In the moment when they first experience it, this leads the women to awe and trembling and fear and bewilderment. But as time goes on, as they have time to process through, as they think back on the words that Jesus said, as they see his actions, as they understand more fully what's happening, as they actually see him later on, as he appears to his friends and followers and the many more, they get a bigger picture of what exactly has been happening. And they have a new frame of reality of which to view life and God and death. You see, death is no longer the end. There is new life. Jesus came back to life and he is alive And he promises new life to us. For those who would follow him, that would believe in him, he promises new life to us. It is what he gives us and what he offers and what he promises to each and every one of us that call him Lord. And he's been reminding us of this new life that is experienced in death, not only in the physical death and the new life that comes through there and a life eternal with him, but also a new life that comes today as we die to our own selfish impulses, as we die to the things that are in us, as Jesus becomes more fully and alive in us. Because that's the third thing in this story is that there is life in this life. Jesus came back to life in this world, in the present reality. When the tomb was empty, he didn't just float away. He showed up over and over again, the people in the world. There is something so important about him coming back to life that he needed to bring that life into the world and say, this life is for now. This life belongs in this world and not just at another time. And the rest of Mark, if you read the accounts there, those are based on the other accounts in the Gospels. They line up, but over and over again, he shows up to people and increasingly more people that get to see him alive in this world. And he makes a statement that this new life isn't just for eternity. It's also for the here and now. Jesus came to give life to the full and probably my favorite verse in all of the Bible. John 10, 10, it says, a thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and give it to the full. This idea that Jesus came to give a full and abundant and rich life, a life to be lived now, a life that should matter. And I think it's surprising that our life can matter so much now, that it's not just an end game for eternity, but that it can matter in the here and now to the world around us, to the people that are around us. It's not just a race to the end to get to death so that we can live forever. And it's not just a race to see how much we can accumulate into the day to day. It's the fact that our life can matter now, that it can matter to our friends and our neighbors, that it can bring life, that it can offer things to the world around us. It's a life that should be surprising and life-giving and beneficial to those that are around us. And he calls us to carry out his mission, to give life and to offer life to others and to the world, to restore justice, to bring beauty to the world. And in reality, it may cause pain and persecution, death and attack because the work is so vital. It's so important, and that is the reality that those first followers on Easter would have been experiencing as they were hiding away, as they were hearing the news, the present reality that death could be coming for them at any time because the work that they were about to carry out was so important, and the work they've passed on to us to continue to remind people that there is hope, that there is light, that there is life in this world.
but they were reminded that they can make it because Jesus was present with them. Because we have the promise of both life and death and life in this life. Because part of new life, part of having that new life in us is bringing new life to others. When we follow Jesus, he offers to live within us, which means that if he's alive in us, if he is full of life and he is the bringer of full life, we also have a chance to bring life to others, to give life to the world around us. You see, death was never a surprise to Jesus. He talked about it quite frequently. He knew where he was headed, but he also knew death wasn't the end. And in fact, we see him over and over and over again, kind of jumping the gun. He liked death so little that he kept bringing life into life as he was present there. We see in his miracles, we see as he brings people back to life, he knew that new life was coming and it would be offered to all of us, but he keeps giving glimpses of what that new life would look like as he offered it to those around him as this new life kept springing from his fingertips, oftentimes from his very fingertips, touching people and giving them new life. And he invites us into that life and he invites and gives us that life within us and he invites us to bring that life into this life. That's why we're invested as a church in serving locally and globally of making a difference where we are and making a difference around the world with our partners in Africa. It's because we care about vulnerable children. It's why we want to pour in the schools. It's why we want to care for the foster families. We want to make a difference in this world because God has called us to bring order and justice and life into this world as we have the time to do it. He wants us to set the world right and to bring life into this world. Do you want to know what it looks like and how to live this surprising new life? I think it's one of those things for many of us, we hear that. We want to live, right? We want to have new life. But what does that actually look like? How do we do that? I would invite you in the coming weeks to come back. We are starting a new series next week called Coming to Life. Where we'll spend the next few weeks looking at what is this new life that gives life to those around us look like? How do we live in the reality of the resurrection, this new life? It's going to be a great series to be a part of. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never followed him, Easter is a great time to consider him. Jesus will show up in your doubt and your pain and your loss. And he offers a new life with him. And he offers a new life that can look so different than the present reality you're living in now. And if you've believed in Jesus, but maybe you're living in neutral, maybe your life is just sort of taken on that one foot in front of the other. And you're not engaged with the life around you. Jesus offers life to there as well, to bring life into this world, to be fully alive. Together, we actually have a chance to be a surprising light and life to this world. Let's pray. Thank you for Easter, Jesus. Thank you for conquering death. God, we stand in awe of you. This morning as we spend time and remember that there is an empty tomb, that you walked out, that you conquered death, that you know that there is death in this life, but that you did something amazing and new and offered life and death. That there is a promise of life eternal. There is a promise of life here as we continue to live with you. And then there is a promise of life in this life as we allow you into our lives, you put life into us. And that life is a light to those around us. It is an aroma of life. It is a life-giving light, God. And you give us the opportunity to be a part of life in this life. That we can have life to the full, an exciting and surprising life that matters deeply to those around us, that offers hope to those that are hopeless, that gives meaning to people that are around us, that offers to bring justice and order and bringing right things into the world. God, help us individually to see that in our life, Lord. Meet us where we are. Take us where you want us to go. And God, be with us as a community as we continue to be a light to the world around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.